We're going to get started. Uh, we're going to be continuing John chapter 14. Uh, Pastor Ben last week did verses 1 through 7. Uh, and I'm going to do actually a slight little bit of overlap and start at 7 and go to 14. Not because I don't think he did a good job of covering 7. I just just worked better for me when I was preparing. Uh, he's actually at the lighthouse tonight uh, preaching to Elevate. So, um, so be praying for him, obviously. But don't pray too loud. And uh, so we're just, we're excited about that. Actually, he and I is going to be taking a trip this week and he'll do some, uh, some training. So we're pretty excited about that. Got to wake up tomorrow morning at about 2.30. Um, so that's arguably not going to bed if you, if you live in my house. Uh, so, uh, so pray for me. And we're speaking of that, let's pray before we get started. God, we do thank you for this time. God, I thank you, God, for your church. And then we thank you for your word. And I pray, Father, that as we, as we study your word, Father, that we will just, our understanding of you will grow, Father, our understanding of your will will grow, and God, that our lives, Father, will be representative of that change, and God, that we would bring glory to you in all that we do, Father, and that we would have a passion for the advancement of the gospel, Father, and that you would teach us through all that, God, how to love, God, to love as you did, and in Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, verses 7 through 14, and we won't read through them yet because I want to get through a little bit, but last week, um, Ben kind of posed a couple questions to you about, you know, how, how are the way in which we handle ourselves when things don't go according to the way that we should, even as, as believers. We feel like we felt like this was a certain path for our life to go, and it didn't go that way for whatever reason. You know, how do we, how do we handle that? And the idea of not leaning on our own understanding, and the first part of of chapter 1, of verse 1 and 14, it said, let not your hearts be troubled. And then it said, what? Believe in God and believe also in me. So he circled on this idea of how do we handle that and that we shouldn't lean on our own understanding. Obviously, that we, we draw that from Christ. And in verse 6, which is arguably one of the most popular verses in the Bible, that says, Jesus, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that was verse 6. And then the next part kind of rolls into where we'll be tonight. This section of scripture from chapters 13 to 17 is known as the upper room discourse. Um, it's the time, it's, it's just hours before Christ's crucifixion, and it's the time that he just invests in his disciples, and he's pouring into them, and he's, he's bringing comfort to their lives, he's bringing deep spiritual truths. All the way through here, we see these you know, four chapters that are dedicated strictly to that in this very small period of time. But his idea here, when he gets into 14, is he's, as he's speaking to them, he's, trying, he's bringing comfort to them. Because you've got to understand, he obviously knows what's going on. He understands what's happening. But they haven't quite yet wrapped their mind around this whole idea of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and him leaving the earth, and what they've always known. So there's a lot of um, unsurety for them, I'm sure being, you know, being scared. Let's just say, I mean, it's kind of hard for us probably to wrap our minds around it, because we see the whole picture now. But his idea here was to bring comfort to his disciples. I was thinking about comfort, and then the, the title of our message tonight is that Jesus, our comforter. And just looking at it in definition alone, it is to give strength and hope to, and to ease the grief or the trouble of. So we see that that's how he's applying it here. But think about your life and some things that are, that are comfortable to you. I wrote down a list here. Your bed, right? For most of you, your bed's probably a pretty comfortable place. Um, and just so happens, most of your beds come standard with a comforter, right? Right? 
that big fluffy blanket that goes on the top. So I grew up, probably like many of you, you made your bed every morning, right? It's just a rule. Um, now, I, was, I, I did not agree with that process and principle in my family, uh, but nonetheless, it was a requirement, and it was even so that I was, my job was to make my parents' bed every morning. Was they really, they got me on that one. I was thinking about that, you know. It's like, I didn't even want to make my own, and then I had to, but then she had to tell me how much it was, how important it was to make my bed. I'm like, why don't you make your bed, right? I didn't say that. I only thought that. But I did get to watch the Power Rangers during that time, so I think that's why it was okay for me. Probably the longest bed-making ever. But you're comforter, right? And then now, I'm of the belief that um, I'm going to mess it up again in about 12 hours, so there ain't no sense in doing anything with it now, right? Some of you line up there as well. And uh, the comforter actually probably is my primary uh, you know, means of keeping warm. Um, a sheet just... I don't know, I guess I'm just getting, as I get older, I get colder. That comforter is just nice. So we have comforters, right? Your sofa. How many of you like your sofa? When we moved into our house, we had some really, really nice sofas. They were comfortable. They didn't look too good, but they were comfortable. But my wife, she's very, very good at decorating. And uh, so she picks out furniture based on how it looks, not how it feels. So if we used to joke about it for years because I never want to sit on those sofas. They didn't, get any, they didn't get any sitting time because they weren't comfortable at all. But now we got some comfortable sofas. I love to lay down on those sofas. Your family. Some of you are very comfortable around your family, right? It's a good time. You spend time together. Your vehicle. You know, how many of us now really got, you know, a nice vehicle where you sit there, you got power controls, you know, you got navigation, you don't have to put your phone on your ear anymore. It's just a comfortable, comfortable place to be. And then some of you, it may be just a certain person that's just comfortable, that you're comfortable around. And as we look through these ideas, what I want you to think about is when things are comfortable in your life, it's because they have proven consistently over time to provide some level of comfort, right? Your sofa's there for you every day in the same capacity till you wear it out, right? And everything is like this, and we begin to develop this trust. Well, the same thing holds true for us in our walk as believers. You know, Christ obviously is our comforter and the longer that we spend time with him and the more time that we spend to him our trust in him develops and it just becomes a it just becomes a process that becomes very natural to us and something that he works in our lives through his scripture and this is what he's showing his disciples here that he wants to be their their comforter in their times of trials but then also when i think about comfort i think about the freedom that comes with comfort right when we get into those moments, we, get into, we let our guard down. We begin to kind of, we take it easy. Things aren't, maybe we aren't as uptight about something that we would have been before. We begin to relax. Well, guess what? Jesus knew that that would happen too for us as believers, as we, as we walk out Christianity, as our lives are being sanctified. That freedom that we experience, if we're not careful, what can happen? We end up using it, we end up using it in the wrong direction. Look what he said in Galatians 5.13. He says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. And we talked about this back in chapter 13 when Jesus was washing the disciples' feet and he was teaching them how to serve and what it meant to serve. And the idea that in your freedom, in this comfort that I'm going to provide for you, this is what I'm calling you to do, to serve. To serve me and to advance me. So it brings us to our first point tonight. It says that we find comfort in Christ's incarnation. And we will find comfort in Christ's incarnation. And I'm going to read verses 
uh, 7 through 11 here. We're going to start on that first part. And it says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. Now, this is right after he just said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. It says, from now on, you do know him and have seen them. Now, I want to stop right there for a second because verse 6 kind of rolls right into verse 7. Remember, remember he, was talking to, he was talking to Thomas. Thomas asked him the question. And then he responds back saying that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then all of a sudden it, changes, it shifts. He answers, he answers Thomas directly there, but then he shifts here because the verb changes to more a plural form in verse 7 because it says, if you had known me, you would have, you would have, known, uh, have known my father also. And from now on, you have known him. So now he's speaking to the whole group. Now he's kind of made it more personal. And it, six rolls right into seven there. And I want us to look at some of the, some of the ways that it's broken down. And the first part of seven says, if you had known me, if you had, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. So the struggle there for him was he was trying to explain to them the reality of him and God being the same thing, that he was the incarnation of God. He was, he was the man walking on earth. He was fully God and fully man. And he's explaining this to them because it's important that they understand it, obviously, for the next step, which is going to be the death, burial, and resurrection. So he's saying, if you had known me, you would have known my father. So what he's telling them is you don't really know me yet. You don't really know, You think you know me. You think you know me. You've spent all this time with me, but you don't really know me yet because had you had known me, you would know, you would know my father. And, then he t- and he goes to the next part. He says, from now on, so starting at that point from the moment he says it, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So it begs the question, how in one verse can it change so drastically from them knowing, not knowing anything to all of a sudden he's saying that they do know him. So we see that they didn't really know, but right there at that point where it says from now on, what it's speaking to is what's in the upcoming moments is about to happen. It's crucifixion, right? And then obviously what soon follows behind that is the burial and the resurrection. And the completion of that will be the fulfillment of the gospel. And then they will finally see the full picture. So he's saying from this point on, so this process that we're in right now, you will see. So you, and you do know him and you have seen him. And I'm sure in that moment they're still thinking, I don't know, it's just awfully contradictory. You just kind of said two different things all in the same sentence. And he's setting it up for him. And I want us to see how kind of this goes along. Because remember, Thomas was a guy just a verse before, obviously cast, you know, casting his doubt. And we're going to see it play out a little bit later on in this book. But I want us to set it up. So from this point onward, so there's this change that's about to take place. And their knowledge of, from that point on, their knowledge of the Father is going to grow because of what Christ is about to do through the cross. And Jesus, through his whole process, is doing what he's continually, he's continually pointing people to Christ. If we go back to 14.1, it says, Let not your hearts be troubled, but believe in God and believe also in me. So he, he started it off right there again, believe in God and believe also in me, tying those two things together. And then in verse 8, it says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. I mean, it's just, it's just a bit humorous when you, when you read this and really see it. It's like he just told them that you've, you've seen the Father. If you've known me, you've known the Father. And what, in the next sentence, what, is, what does Philip say? Lord, show us the Father. Show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Right? He's saying, just show us, and, and, and then we'll, we'll, we'll kind of lay off of this whole idea. But Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Sound familiar? How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, 
but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So he kind of changes it there in that last part of that sentence. But Philip, you notice what he says, he says us when Philip's staying there. He says, show us it's enough for us. So Philip's speaking for everybody in the room, right? So the, the idea is that this is probably something that they're all struggling with at some level. And right before that, Thomas spoke up and said the same thing. But I see two things in that last, particularly in that last sentence, but he kind of brings out two parts. He says, believe me in verse 11 that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, if you don't understand what I'm saying there, believe on account of the works themselves and obviously the works that he's done throughout his time on earth. So there's two things and my question is, why are they, why do you, what do you think that, and somebody can answer this, why do you think they're struggling with this idea of God and Jesus and seeing them one and the same? Even after they've walked with them for, for three years in some situations. What do you think the struggle is? Any ideas? Renee? Right. Right. He's... He's walking there with them just every day. That's right. So to them, they don't, you know, they obviously have seen some of his works, but in the same token, they're still, they're still there, right? Just doing that. He's walked with them for three years. So the first, the sub point that is that Christ has always been a physical presence to them. Jesus has walked for them. We walked with them three years, day and night. They woke up together. Uh, when they, they went to bed together, they heard his voice. And I think probably the most powerful thing that I see on this side is, I mean, they were living by sight, but not only were they living by sight, they were seeing Scripture lived out, you know, hand to hand. You know, and we have it here, obviously, today we have the completion of it, but they were seeing it walked out and actually the details of it day in and day out. You know, all of the sidebar conversations that we don't see here, they got to experience. So they've always seen the physical presence. And Scripture now we know obviously continually points back, look, Hebrews 1.3 Talking about Jesus says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on him. Colossians 1.5, he is the image of what? The invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. We see it real clearly now. You know, we've got the completion of scripture. We know the whole story. But they're in a situation where they don't get it. And he's telling them that he's going to leave and he's going to the Father. And, of course, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're in fear because remember in that time, a lot of them thought that the idea of Jesus coming was to free them from what? From, from Roman oppression. You know, what they saw right here and right there now. But there's a much bigger picture, right? Christ came to do much more than just save them from what they were experiencing in that moment. But they can't see past that. So Christ has always been a physical presence. But then in that second part, that Christ has, has provided physical acts for them as well. He's performed many miracles, right? You know, they've seen the miracles. They've seen, they've seen the power of God working. Um, and, but if you think back to where they were in that time, thinking back to the Old Testament, there were people that came, through the, came along, right, that God used to perform miracles, to do things, and they were, they were a testament to who God was. You know, so for them, it's a real similar situation of what they've read about in the, in, in the Old Scripture, but it's different now because he's saying it's going to be different. Some things are going to happen differently going forward. Look, in, look earlier in John, there's some of, the, some of the healings that he did at the pool, the pool, excuse me, that the healing at the pool on the Sabbath in John 5, 36. 
He said, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father, here he goes back to the Father again, has given me to accomplish. And the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And then when he was talking about being the good shepherd in 1025, it said, Jesus answered him, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. It really wasn't until after the resurrection that they were going to really begin to understand this connection of who Christ was and who God was. But if we fast forward, remember, remember Thomas had his, his, uh, his problem where he was asking his questions. And we're going to get to this, obviously, probably in a, probably a month or two. But in, so you have forgot by then. But John twenty twenty eight, Jesus comes into the upper room right after he's resurrected and he reveals himself to his disciples. And what does Thomas say? Obviously, he asks them to see, so forth and so on. And then he says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. It's in that moment that that revelation hit him of who Christ was. And the same thing is true for us. It just happens pretty much simultaneously because we're on this side of the cross. You know, a lot of us grew up maybe knowing about a God, knowing, you know, knowing somebody else that knew a God. And you said, oh, yeah, how many of you, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in God. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's this, there's that. But in that moment when you come to know Christ and you come to see the reality that he is the incarnation of God, when that salvation power takes hold in your life, I think we have a real similar thing there. My Lord and my God, as Thomas said. My Lord and my God, because that means as Lord, you've surrendered it all to him. And as God, he is sovereign and he is holy over everything in your life. That's a big deal that happens there. But they haven't seen that yet. So he's here to provide them that comfort during that time. And when you look at the, the application of that in our life today, you know, the way in which we grow in that, obviously we, we, have, we, we have expressed belief and we receive salvation. But from there, it's, a, it's just a steady diet of the studying of God's word and his scripture. And that understanding that we gain through that, you know, that's what it tells us in Romans, that we would begin to understand the, his perfect will. You know, it's not about us. It's not about our desires. You know, going back to last week, you know, when things don't go the way we think they should go, you know, you feel like you just felt like this is the job you were supposed to get. get. And you get there and you realize, man, this place is bad. Right? But you thought, you, but you thought that that was the place you were supposed to be. But you base it, we base it off of emotions and of feelings. You know, you may not have missed it. You may be supposed to be there. And part of that misery is part of what you're being called to be a part of as a believer. But the reality is, when we begin to daily apply God and we begin to daily apply his word and his truth in our life, then guess what? Those things begin to come into focus. Those things begin to be a little bit more clear. We can take a step back. We can see the mess, but we can also see what God's doing in that mess, either through you or in that situation itself. And Christ is obviously setting all this up for him, and he's just wanting to bring comfort to him. And he's, the first part there, he's expressing his deity. And our second point I want to get to is that we find comfort in Christ's power that's in us. As we, come to, as we express belief in Christ, that power that indwells in us that we know of as the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, it goes and it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater work than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And here he says it again, I'm going to the Father. You know, they're asking to see the Father, and Jesus says he's going to the Father. They're in two completely different directions. But it says right here, and it's kind of unique, and I'm sure in that moment probably stuck out to them as it sticks out to you. It says, and it will do greater works than, than these that he will do. 
And he's speaking to him and saying, after he goes to the Father, then we will do greater works than what he's done. And firstly, the reason why is because it's not, it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with those apostles. It had everything to do with who they were because of who Christ was in them. Right? You know, we went through that. We went through the first series here in Ephesians talking about who we were in Christ. Right? And in chapter 1, he talked about his immeasurable power and his immeasurable riches that are at our disposal when we, when we line up with who Christ is. But I see two more parts here. He talks about the greater works. Now, when he says greater works, what does that mean by greater works? Anybody have any ideas? What's, what's a greater work than what Jesus did while he was walking the earth? It's not really a trick question. Because probably like most of you are thinking, there ain't nothing greater, and I'm sure not going to say anything. Bill, you'd be the brave one. Right. You read my notes. You read my notes. Now, uh, I forgot to send them to you. No, that's exactly right. It's not that they're greater in power. They're greater in extent. It has far more outreaching. You know, of course, Bill mentions the Holy Spirit. And obviously, you know that this is where this is going towards. And we know because we've seen here. But remember, at this time, they didn't understand this. All they see is that Jesus has gone back to the Father. And they think, well, where's, you know, where's, where's your father live? We're going to follow you. You know, because he talked about going back to the house and getting some rooms ready, right, in verse 2. So I'm sure there's a part on this, like, trying to do some practical application of this in their life. And he's leaving. And, and then you're saying that I'm going to be better off after you left. And there's just some things that just, don't, that just don't really make sense to me. But it's what he's trying to show them is the power that he's going to leave, the power that's going to be in them because of what he's about to do. Is the, is the comfort that they need to go out into this world and to do what? To go to all ends of the earth, ultimately, is what's going to happen. So it's not greater in extent as much as it is in, excuse me, in kind. It's just that we can have more, we have more outreaching arms, the areas of influence. Right there, he was talking to the 11, right? A little bit later on, they're going to, in the first chapter of Acts, they're going to pick up the 12th. In Matthias, but right now they're dealing with 11. But think about it, you know, Jesus is trying to get them to understand, I'm one, and you're 11 here, and that's, and, and that's where it's going to start, and that's where it's going to begin. The beginning of the apostolic age was going to begin to take place. Because they did, you know, they walked out and did the very same, the same, very same miracles that Jesus did, right? You know, I mean, we've got a count of it in Scripture over and over again. And now, here we are in 2018 in Shreveport, Louisiana, and the gospel has essentially gone over the entire globe because of that. You know, it's, the, the truth is, Jesus as one man, that was a limitation he had as being a one physical man of being able to be able to have that kind of outreach. His spirit was capable. His, his father was capable of setting that all into place because we now know of the Trinity. We know the, uh, the theology behind the Trinity. But guess what? They didn't know anything about the Trinity back then, right? It's the same, but we, we see the whole picture now. And now we see when, when Jesus was saying that what was going to be greater, the greater works that were going to happen. Every one of you here in this room is a result of those greater works that he was talking about. Every person that names the name of Jesus Christ today is a result of those greater works that he was talking about. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
And then the second part there, it says the Holy Spirit, doesn't say it's my sub point, it says the Holy Spirit gives way for those greater works. And there's a key word right there in verse 12 that I want you to catch. And it says, let me find my spot here. It says, and greater works than these will he do, speaking to the Holy Spirit. It says, because. So in order for that to happen, there's a because. That means something's got to happen. And it says, because that I will be gone to the Father. Because I will be gone to the Father. They didn't understand who the Holy Spirit was. They didn't even understand he was relating to. But now he's beginning to show them that in that, as they begin to, begins to develop, because remember back in the, it said that he was going to, from now on, in verse 7, from now on. So this is all a part of this process of them understanding greater and greater what's going on. John fourteen six, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And that was, that was going to be a couple verses later, probably next week. And then sixteen seven says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. You know, so this is all still part of the same storyline. This is later in, the, in the, what we call the upper room discourse. Remember chapters 13 through 17. So this is going to be a little bit later on. He's going to begin to explain this. But there's this idea that his, I, I have to, not, not, only, not only am I gone, and not only is it good for you, but I have to go because if I don't go, then this, then this doesn't take place. You know, so he's, he's bringing all this around to him full circle. And he brings us into the last verse. And our last point, it says that we find comfort in Christ's promise to us. We find comfort in Christ's promise to us. And let's read verse 13 and 14. It says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So when I read, you know, when you read that the first time, and I've, I've, when I've read it before, it's like, man, okay, uh, whatever and anything. Right? That's what it says. Whatever you ask and anything in my name. Right? So you've probably over the years heard some pretty, some pretty crazy things where you know what people claim in that scripture, right? You know, they begin to just tack that on to lots of craziness. But let me just set the record straight. Those words don't actually translate from the Greek into the English quite like we would like them to. Right? There's a little bit more to it. But first of all, look right here in the first part. It says, whatever you ask in my name... This I will do, and there's, that, and there's that transition word, that, that what? That the Father may be glorified, right? That's a key part. You've got to see both sides of the verse there. In the Son, it says, and if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So the idea is we cannot truly ask anything in the sense that we think, right? You know, it, particularly with uh, selfish motive, uh, things that are self-gain, things that um, help you out personally and have no relevance to, to Christ and to the advancement of his gospel, right? So that's not what he's talking about by anything, but look at how the word anything breaks down. It comes from the Greek word called tis, T-I-S, and the definition of it is a certain or a certain one, and the idea is that usually it's a person or a thing concerning which the writer either cannot or will not speak about more particularly. So anything is better translated as for us, as a certain thing. It's not anything. It's more of a certain thing. And, here, and guess what's the certain things? And I've got a list of them here. One that our prayer should be for the purposes of his kingdom. But it said there, the Father may be glorified. 
that our prayer should be based on the merits of Christ, not us. And that our prayer should be in the pursuit of bringing glory to Christ. You know, one thing I'm very intentional about, you know, when we have our prayer time, when we're praying at home, is that despite whatever situation is going on, and whatever it looks like or whatever we think it's going to be, is that we always pray that God's name would be glorified in that situation, regardless of what's happening, regardless if it seems good then or if it seems bad then. The idea is we want to focus on Christ. But our prayers cannot be selfish when we name this idea of anything. Look at the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Obviously, we've all heard it. Many of us have recited it. But it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And if, if you were like me, for many of you, you grew up Catholic, that was a well-recited prayer, right? You know? And I can remember for years and years of reciting it, I didn't really have any idea what any of it meant or thought of it at any level. And obviously, as, as I grew in Christ, as I began to study Scripture, and you begin to see, I mean, it starts off right there. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be, the, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's where our prayers need to line up. And when it says right here in, in this last part that whatever you ask in my name, it's whatever you ask in my name that lines up and is in accordance with the Father, that the Father may be glorified, and this is, this is Matthew's amplified version, in the Son, that you may ask me a certain thing in my name as long as it lines up with who I am and who I am as Christ and that it brings glory to my name and it is not of selfish merit and that it is working for the glory of God. That's what he's telling his disciples in that moment there. But, what he's, but the comfort where he's bringing is, is the idea that you will have this power because of who I will be in you because of what I'm about to do. In the, in, the, in the hours to come, the crucifixion is going to take place. And obviously there's going to be the disciples that but they all scatter. You know, Peter denies. And a few days later they gather back. And they just the resurrected Christ. And it's in those moments. Remember what Thomas said again. My Lord and my God is what's going to take place. As he's moving through here, he's bringing them this comfort. We looked at those three different eras. We looked at first that it was the idea of his incarnation, that he was God in the flesh, that they needed to wrap their hands around that because it is what's going to be good for them, that the power that was going to live in them was going to be good for them and it was going to allow them to go out from there and to do those things, and that Christ was going to seal them with this promise, that when they went out in his name, that he was going to meet them in that situation, he was going to answer their prayers, and he was going to do those things to help advance the gospel to the ends of all the earth. And the call for us... The call for us here today, 2018, is the same. That our job is to, to study Scripture, to understand, so we can have that from now on moment in our life. So that from now on, that we begin to know Christ and to see Christ and to understand who He is and understand the reality of what He's done in our lives. I mean, so many times it's easy to just take that step back and take it for granted, right? What did it say in Galatians 5.13? Be careful with that freedom. Read it again for you here. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve one another. We've got to constantly check our hearts. We've got to constantly check our minds and our daily actions and say, what am I doing with the freedom that I have 
in Christ? Am I using it to kind of have this gravy train kind of life and, you know, fist bump other Christians and realize, you know, just be cool? Or every day are you saying, you know, God, as you drive down the road, and let me see these people the way you see them. You know, not, not through the lens of politics and society, but that I would see them through the lens of Scripture. Why? Because when we see people the way Christ sees them and we see situations the way Christ sees them, guess what? We respond differently. We respond as Christ would, as in love, and we will serve. And then we, we become that comforter to that person and to that situation as we walk that out in our lives. God, the challenge is that we would walk on a daily basis to advance the gospel, and it's not easy. It's, it's not easy, right? Every one of us could sit here and just say how in your particular situation, how tough it is, right? Well, when to say the right thing, or how am I know I'm supposed to talk to this person, or, you know, they don't seem to really be open to it. You know, I don't really seem to get the right moment. Um, I'm worried that they might, you know, not like it, and so forth. And so we, we go through all, we, when you think about all the things we think about, if we would take those things and channel them towards just, what did Christ say? Just to love and to serve. And guess what? Those other questions you got will be answered. Because people are going to see you walk that out. People are going to see and notice that you are different. Not because of your own selfish merit or anything you've done. Because they're going to see who Christ is in you. Right? Paul said to live is Christ and to die is gain. We don't have any other choice. You know, it's, it's Christ and him crucified. That's our call as believers. And the react, we can live in the same comfort that he was trying to show his disciples in this moment. But we live in that same place because all of this is available to us now. And we've seen the whole picture. We've seen the entire thing from cover to cover. We understand it. Here in 2018, we don't have these same struggles. But we still tend to have the same short arm effect, right? When it comes to the advancement of the gospel, if we don't focus on Christ on a daily basis. That's my encouragement to you, church, that as you walk out of here, it's going to be a little late tonight. You probably won't have too many opportunities, but tomorrow morning, they're fresh all over again. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you begin to think through and you begin to recount everything that happened the day before and everything you got to do the day of, that's fine. But just know that because of who you are in Christ and because of what he's done in your life, that you're going to be able to walk in a different path. You're going to be able to walk in a different situation. You will be powerful in your place of influence because of who Christ is in your life. God, we just thank you, Father, for this time. God, I thank you, God, for your word. God, it's so good. God, it is so good. God, it has the power, Father, to change our lives, God, to change our thinking, God, that we would be God, just transformed in all of our thoughts. God, no matter where we are in our walk with you, Father, whether we are a new believer my Father, where we've been walking with you faithfully, God, for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years, God, I pray, Father, that we never lose sight, God, of who you are, God, and what you did on that cross, God, in the position, God, that we are in, Father, because of who you are, God, in us. God, thank you, Father, for this church. God, thank you for the needs, God, that were brought here earlier. God, and I pray, Father, that you're working every one of them, and that you're moving in lives. And God, for the people that showed up tonight, and that don't know you as their personal Lord and Savior. God, that you have them here for a reason. That your spirit is drawing them, Father, and drawing them unto repentance. God, to that day in which they express belief in you. That is their Lord and Savior. God, thank you for this night. Let us travel home safely. And in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.